Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learn with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. Earlier in November, we as a nation honored the service of the men and women of the military with Veterans Day, as we do every year. Donors Trust clients have donated millions of dollars to dozens of veteran and military-related causes over the years, and so I figured it would be easy to make an episode exploring a few popular groups in this arena. Well, it turns out it was much more difficult than I expected. I sought the advice of two military vets on our team, philanthropic advisor Lucas Dwelly, our controller Chris Renner, and they had lots of ideas. I talked to other people. They had lots of ideas. There are so many groups all doing different things, doing it at different angles in this community. Then I was sitting at a session at the Philanthropy Roundtable's annual meeting about supporting our vets. And Dan Goldenberg of the Call of Duty Foundation noted that there were more than 30,000 nonprofit organizations out there serving veterans and military personnel. And that is why I was having such trouble pinning down who to feature. So instead, I'm taking a slightly different tactic with this episode. Rather than highlight a few specific groups, we're going to do a broad look at how those of us who are interested in supporting veterans and their spouses and active duty military personnel can use our charitable dollars in a smart and strategic way, no matter what segment of this arena we hope to support. Helping us in this exploration is Marcus Ruzik. Marcus's expertise comes in two ways. One is his 13 years in the Army, and more recently it comes from his work as the Senior Program Director overseeing military giving, among other giving areas, at Bernie Marcus's foundation down in Atlanta. Uh, Marcus, you are uniquely qualified to talk about these issues. Before we get into the strategies around supporting veterans and the military, talk a little bit about your background with the military and then how that and it puts you on the philanthropic side. Yeah, Peter, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm happy to do it and, and glad to spend the time together um, talking about this incredibly important subject. So, uh, yes, I, you know, I, I came into the Marcus Foundation right out of the Army. So, my, like the joke I tell people is uh, I came right out of the Army. I literally couldn't spell philanthropy. Um, but, you know, Bernie told me, uh, hey, you know, you're a bureaucrat. You probably don't even know it, but don't worry, we're going to retrain you. And, uh, and so that's really, uh, really how I, I got into this. You know, um, I really the whole first year of working at um, Marcus Foundation was all about kind of learning Bernie, spending time with him, understanding his priorities, his focus areas, and, and really his values and the way that the way that he approaches philanthropy, which you know we believe and, and know is, is quite unique. Uh, he's you know and he's an entrepreneurial philanthropist. And um, Bernie's all about 
identifying issues out there uh, that resonate with him and then getting his hands dirty to find solutions. What he said to me when I started with him early on was, you know, I worked really hard for this money. I'm not going to just give it away. Uh, and every check that, that we send, we, we expect ROI. We expect a significant return and not in a financial sense, but from a sense of changing the world and, and saving people's lives and making people's lives better. So so that's that's really what the first year was about as I kind of learned philanthropy and I learned Bernie. And then he really said, overlay that on my experience and that of my comrades and um, and bring it to them. And, and if it's worth doing, if it's the right thing to do, then we're going to do it. Uh, and so we really got into the veteran nonprofit landscape um, really quickly. We, we started just making grants. We started uh, finding uh, issue areas across the landscape and investing in what we thought were some really smart solutions. Um, across that time, we, we probably funded 40 to 50 different organizations. Uh, and we did funded across the spectrum, uh, homelessness, employment, supporting veterans in education, caregivers, taking care of um, the families and, and active, duty, active service members, uh, care for the wounded. Uh, we also did a lot of work around invisible wounds of war and traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress. And, and really, uh, we learned a lot. We, we, we had some successes. We had some failures. Um, and that really informed the way that we would eventually kind of pivot and go very narrow and very deep into the invisible wounds of war work um, by, by starting a national network. So um, that's kind of a quick background. Like I said, we funded a lot of organizations. What, what's also been a lot of fun is there, there's a, a small community of, of other funders, foundations and individuals who give to military and veteran causes. And uh, I'm able to stay in touch with a lot of those folks. So while, like you mentioned, Dan Goldenberg earlier, um, the Call of Duty Endowment, which is very focused exclusively on veteran unemployment and, and getting veterans into high quality jobs. I've known Dan since I started uh, this work, and and while we don't fund in veteran employment today, uh, I'm pretty I have a good understanding of the landscape because people like Dan are focused in that area, and and I learned a lot from him over the years. So um, it, it's been a great journey, and and there's a lot more to do. I mean, I referenced how Dan said that. 30,000 plus military groups over there, which really got my head spinning. And you just rattled off a bunch of different categories. You talked about how you all focus more on invisible wounds. He's more employment. How do you sort <laughs> these different areas of veteran support into different buckets? I mean, is there a good way people who are interested in this should be thinking about the different totems, the different pillars of veteran military support? Absolutely, Peter. I mean, it, this was really hard to navigate right out of the gate, right? Because if you're just like, all right, I want to help veterans, um, it's it's pretty pretty daunting to look at tens of thousands of organizations around the country that claim to serve veterans. And not to mention, there's also been a handful of organizations that have just done wrong, right? right. They, they've raised money around this this uh, issue area and and ultimately were found to be fraudsters and um, and are no longer around. So it is hard to to kind of navigate. Uh, I can tell you that. Some of the main areas, and, and really, I would break the organizations down based a lot on the era of veteran that they serve. So when I say era, you know, it's World War II, it's Vietnam, it's um, the younger generation of veterans or Gulf War era veterans, the War on Terror. I think that a lot of them will focus specifically on a generation of veterans or on an era. Uh, in addition, you know, there's groups that exclusively are going to do homelessness and work tirelessly on that issue there's groups that are going to focus on substance abuse and addiction or or veteran employment or 
um, or getting veterans active in community again and connecting them to their communities. So I think there's a lot of different approaches. And really, what I what I try to tell people a lot is that veterans are are really it's just at a great cross section of America, right? So when you look at any issue in America, name it, right? Substance abuse, homelessness, etc. Um, you really can look at groups or programs that that do very good work in those areas, and if if you're already funding in that area, and you can incentivize those groups to focus on veterans um, because veterans potentially have those same issues. Now there are some things unique to veterans, which I think we'll talk about today. Um, but in general, I think a good practice that I learned early on was don't try to create something new. Or, um, clearly, with this many organizations out there, we don't need that. We don't need any more. Um, really just find really great programming and, and pinpoint it to the right population, in, in this case, veterans. So um, I, I think there's a lot there's a lot to learn. But yeah, it is. It's tough to sort. And I, I will tell you one great resource uh, that I think is still very relevant. This book is about five years old now. But the Philanthropy Roundtable put out uh, a, a wise giver's guide to uh, veterans philanthropy. Uh, it's called Uniform Champions by Thomas Meyer. And I think it's about five years old. It's still a very good resource, even though a little bit dated at this point. No, it's a, it's a great reference to a good resource. That's that's really good. And, you know, you mentioned the different eras. I think that's so interesting. And, you know, again, to be clear, so everyone knows, like, I have no military background. This is not something I speak from experience on. Uh, and so a grace, if I just completely butcher how we say some of these stuff, um, but B, I just kind of come from it from ignorance. And, you know, when I, you and I were younger, a vet was world war two, it was Vietnam, it was Korea, but now you, my two colleagues, they're all veterans of the global war on terror. This, this kind of all encompassing fight that's been going on in theory has wound down. How has that changed? How has this new crop of veterans changed philanthropy towards that sector overall yeah dramatically i mean it's a great it's a great question to ask because i think the younger generation of veterans is dramatically different and in and faces a, a different set of issues than some are the same but but a significant societal difference um is the way that we were received i mean like let's look back at the vietnam era uh, two very distinct differences number one um, they were drafted. I mean, that it was it was massive conscription to to man a war that went on very long, um, with a rough ending. So there's there's a you know pretty interesting uh, parallel to what happened in Afghanistan just a couple years ago. Um, but number one, they were drafted, and number two, they came home to a not so welcome. Um, you know, the protests that were going on and the way they were treated is really a shame on our country and something that I still don't think has been fully. Um, repaid and recognized. And and I am grateful for the Vietnam era veterans. My father-in-law fought in Vietnam. And, you know, because of what they endured when they came home, uh, my cohort of veterans, my generation has been received with totally open arms. And so I will say this, that um, since 9-11, I, I think that our country has realized you might not have to support the, the war itself, but but we always support the warrior. And so I think that's great. And I think that's part of the reason we have so many organizations now is because you have a grateful nation. Um, and yet you have a grateful nation that is very disconnected from the military and from its veteran population. So, you know, about 3.1 million veterans served in either Iraq or Afghanistan over the last 20 years. Um, that's less than 1% of our nation's population. And it's been fought by all volunteers 
which is truly amazing. I mean, it's the longest sustained military conflict in our nation's history. And it's been fought by all volunteers. And, um, and that's something to be um, recognized and, um, and really acknowledged. And, but I think that what, what the, adverse um, the adverse effects of that is that we've created this, what we call uh, the civilian military divide, where when you and I were kids, like you said, Peter, if, if someone came into the class and said, raise your hand, if, if someone in your family served in the military or is a veteran, I would have ventured to say more than half the hands would have gone up. You do that in a, in a K through 12 classroom today. If you get one, you're in luck, right? Because uh, the all volunteer force has has just really segmented military service to a small percentage of our population. And and while they come home to welcomes and open arms and thank you for your service, uh, there's there's a big disconnect and a, and a lack of understanding with the challenges that they face and the work that they had to do overseas. Um, to the general population and, and what I think is a really siloed society, right? We've lost a lot of community from the way our society has evolved over the years and social media and living online. Um, and veterans in a lot of ways lived uh, shoulder to shoulder with their comrades in combat and really experienced this intense level of community and life together, dependence on one another and in the team aspect. And to come home to what is now kind of a pretty siloed society can be very sad and um, and has caused a lot of veterans to struggle in a unique way that, that I find different um, from previous generations. It's so. an interesting point and, uh, and it kind of segues into something that I heard you talk about, which is some of the waste, fraud and abuse that, you know, I mean, we've, we've all heard about the, the $6,000 toilets, et cetera. Like defense always has this kind of question of waste over it, but it has now come into some of the VA system and some of the things that in theory, the, the complex itself should be taken care of. And yet now all these nonprofits exist to support these veterans, the, the mental uh, struggles that they have, the homelessness, even in medicine, et cetera. But then there's some waste, fraud, and abuse within all that. I, I'm not quite capturing a question here, but but I've heard you speak eloquently for it. So I'm going to lean on you to speak eloquently. Like, what what are these practices that are creating some of these problems that we really need to look out for. Yeah. So, I mean, I think number one, the VA system is antiquated. Uh, it's not set up or established or incentivized to properly care for veterans. Um, there's too many special interests that, that surround it as, as this large, the largest um, government healthcare system. So I think number one, that that's an issue that just is a breeding ground for fraud, waste and abuse and, and, and just in general, bad care and wasted money. Um, but but what I'd like to spend some time on is specifically the veteran population and what I believe. Look, I'm I'm a millennial, right? So I was a high school kid on 9/11. Uh, went right into the army um, and 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 served my country and loved it. Thought I'd never get out, right? I really wanted to be a soldier forever. But, you know, the millennial generation, we we uh we get a bit of a uh, I think a appropriately <laughs> given title of the entitlement generation on us, right? And and that's not lost on our veterans. Uh, it, it's the millennial generation that fought the majority of the last um, 20 years of war. And, um, you know, what's coming, what's happening today, I'll give you some numbers uh, to, in disability compensation so that you can compare it. So the World War II generation, um, approximately 11% of World War II veterans requested disability compensation. And the number of ailments, right, you know, um, whether that's uh, brain injury and missing a limb, right, uh, or w whatever the ailment may be, 
Uh, 11% of World War II veterans requested disability compensation, but and, and the average was between one or two ailments. The Vietnam generation grew a little bit. 16% requested uh, disability compensation with between three and four ailments. Um, my generation of veterans is requesting disability compensation at 50, 50, half of the veterans um, that serve, whether they went to combat or not, are requesting disability compensation with an average of between nine and 12 ailments. So you can see that not just advances in medicine that, that, that make our warriors more survivable on the battlefield can account for that big of a jump between the Vietnam era and today. Um, and what you'll see, the number one requested ailment is tinnitus. It's ringing in the ear. The thing about tinnitus is there's no, there's no diagnostic test. They say, do your ears ring? And you say yes, and then they give you 10% disability. Um, similarly, and where I think one of the most gross negligence is happening in the VA disability system is post-traumatic stress. You know, PTSD is diagnosed from the DSM. It's called the PCL-5, which, which is uh, basically it's like 25 questions answered with or without a therapist. And if they're answered in a certain way and you're diagnosed with PTSD, you're labeled and you have that. Um, and the fact of the matter is, if you have the answers to the test, the VA will pay you thousands of dollars every month for the rest of your life to have it. Uh, and so there's this perverse incentive for veterans to, uh, who, who maybe have it and, and want to get better, but there's a perverse incentive for them not to. Uh, and so the healthcare system, which is tied through disability compensation, it's the only way to get these injuries cared for is to, to apply for disability compensation. So I think there's a huge burden on the actual system. The VA system needs to be updated, needs to change. But they're also, um, we've got a problem with the entitlement mentality. It's not lost on our veterans and they're, they're taking advantage. Uh, not everybody, obviously. This system exists for a reason. It needs to be there, but but there are some that are taking advantage. Those are shocking numbers, though. And you know, so often on, on the Giving Venture Show, we're looking at policy groups, et cetera. I, I promise listeners we are going to get into some of the non-policy groups, but you know, there is a need for some some changes, as you say. Are there any uh groups out there that are actually working to fix some of those injustices, some of those structural problems within the VA system, within just the the, the way the system is set up from a policy perspective? Yeah, there are. I'm glad you asked because it's it's really it's kind of one of the pillars of the Marcus Foundation's veteran uh, strategy going forward um, is policy and advocacy. Because uh, what a lot of people don't realize is veterans, you know, issues in D.C. are kind of they're really different than than a lot of things on the Hill. Because we've watched the VA budget balloon ten times from um, post 9/11, from you know 2001 and two to current day. I mean, we went from a 30, 40 billion dollar a year bureaucracy to over 300 billion dollars is, is the VA's budget this year. Most of that money going to pay compensation for disability. So that doesn't happen without Congress approving massive, uh, you know, increased budgets year over year, right? And so how did that happen? That happened because the older school groups that support the veteran um, community, which are groups like the American Legion, the VFW disabled American veterans, et cetera. These organizations really hold all of the voice in Washington, D.C. And their answer has been to Congress, more funding, more funding, more funding. And it's just gone up and up and up. And at the same time, these groups have kind of helped the the younger generation of veterans be more efficient at applying and, and, and navigating the bureaucracy. And so it would be really hard for any entity, any typical policy shop, 
to do some research and go into what is you know already a very charged conversation where only veterans apparently have a voice and and go in there and try to start saying no we ought to do it differently or or look at it a different way if i'm a candidate um and and i'm not a veteran and i want to you know rec- i want to write some legislation for bold va reform to fix this these problems um all that's going to be said of me is oh this guy is trying to take money out of veterans pockets right and right. that doesn't get you reelected nope. right um, nope and so <laughs> So to that end, I mean, it, it's going to take, to answer your question, it's going to take the veteran community to stand up in a big way uh, and make their voices heard and 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 actually get, kind of get out of our own way. I think that we're hurting ourselves in many ways by uh, continuing to accept the handouts. And so, you know, toward that effort, we've launched an organization called Mission Roll Call, which its mission is to do exactly this, uh, to, um, to, to put the megaphone in front of veterans who are serious about about how the VA needs to reform to best take care of those who need it. Look, everyone can agree that those who fought for our country deserve the best quality uh, healthcare available. And I think everyone can agree that those who are injured deserve to be compensated for their injuries and cared for for the rest of their life. And then on top of that, they, they most will agree, once educated, that our veteran population is not this wounded charity case walking around with its handout. Our veterans are actually... Um, just great assets that we need to leverage uh, throughout society, whether that's private industry, government service, um, nonprofit, name it. Our veterans serve at a mu- at a much higher level and and are very capable to continue to kind of bring our country up. And so we need to acknowledge that, empower that, and and get behind it, and really just demand some change. So let's talk about some ways that people can really assess the right groups to support and maybe on the flip side groups that that they should avoid. I mean, if groups come to them looking for support or they hear about a group in the, the, this arena, helping active duty folks, helping veterans, how do you, how do you at Marcus foundation, how do you kind of personally think about judging if a group is, is really doing its mission? Well, I think it starts number one with donor intent, right? So, so knowing exactly what that, what the the donor, what the funder is interested and wants, and is is passionate about taking, you know, getting involved in, uh, because you can get distracted really quickly. I mean, there's so many good causes. Uh, so, I think that being focused from the outset, knowing what what your donor and what your funder wants to do, and that goes back to the different pillars we talked about earlier, right? If you care about employment. They look just at employment groups. If you care about mental illness, look at the mental illness. If you care about spouses, look at spouses, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, there's there's some big brands out there that I think everybody will know. You've likely seen their commercials for $19 a month here and there. Um, I think what's what's actually um, kind of upsetting about some of those things is they're, they're painting this kind of mentality of a wounded veteran and that the veteran population is broken and wounded. And I think, I hope everybody understands that, that those narratives are not helping our veterans. Uh, it might seem like it, it might raise a lot of money, but the bottom line is we, we have a national security crisis on middle, military recruiting right now. You know, n- nobody except the Marine Corps, none of the other services uh, hit their recruiting goals uh, and some missed it by pretty egregious amounts, 25% in the case of the Army. Um, we're, we're at risk in the next several years of losing our all-volunteer force. And so I think that, I know, I, I'm very confident that the way our veterans are perceived and the way that they're treated in service and transition um, has a direct correlation to our ability to recruit um, in, in this country. So uh, I just I wanted to make that caveat. But you know, in addition, I think that 
you you should analyze these veterans groups no differently than you would scrutinize or analyze um, you know other nonprofits. It, it, ultimately, they come to the same end. Just because a veteran's running it or a veteran is not running it doesn't make it doesn't give it a seal of approval. Um, and, and I think that's what's really important is you got to look for the ROI. You've got to set anticipated outcomes and benchmarks and ensure that your funding when you make grants to these groups are are uh, prioritized in that manner and, and demand results. Um, so I, I, we don't at the Marcus Foundation, we don't necessarily look at it very differently than we would the way we scrutinize other nonprofits. But um, but but we also know that the mission that we're setting out to accomplish. And so we've had some great successes. Like I said, we've had some failures. Uh, I'd be happy to share some of those groups with you. Yeah, please and, do. Talk to us about some of the specific groups that you've seen, maybe across some of these different categories that uh, folks may want to turn to if they're really looking for somebody who's helping and helping in an optimistic way, as, as you kind of describe it. Oh, great. So, I mean, I'll, I will tell you our focus being on invisible wounds of war, specifically um, just innovative and new uh, treatments for traumatic brain injury, clinical treatments. We, we've launched... Uh, uh, over seven clinics nationally now with a couple more to come. The organization that runs this effort is called the Avalon Action Alliance. Um, and Avalon is really, it's the culmination of what um, Bernie's philanthropy and veterans has really kind of um, spearheaded and, and, and come to. We, we funded some things in different lanes on post-traumatic growth through Boulder Crest Foundation, which is an excellent organization and we're still partnered with in a big way. Um, we also funded through the Shepherd Center here in Atlanta, um, a TBI clinic. And really what we saw is that the three biggest needs that were driving the veteran suicide epidemic were major depression, substance abuse and addiction, uh, and mis or undiagnosed traumatic brain injuries. And so Bernie made this decision several years ago that we wanted to kind of stop doing all the other veteran care we were doing and go very narrow and deep in this problem. This, this is the core issue. It's what resonated mostly with him and that he wanted to have an impact in. And so we brought that all under one roof under Avalon. And we have, um, we've got now 12 different post-traumatic growth programs across the country, seven TBI clinics, and a couple of uh, pretty impactful substance abuse and addiction partners. Warrior's Heart is the organization in Texas. They, they also just opened uh, another program in Virginia. Um, so these are all excellent. Um, I also want to name a couple of other organizations. We talked about the civilian-military divide, and there, I think there are a few organizations that are doing great work to bridge that divide and bring veterans together with others in their community. Um, Team Rubicon is one of those. Uh, many folks have likely heard of them. They're, they're kind of uh, mobilizing vet, the veteran population to serve during disasters in, in response to disasters, and they've done a great job at, of doing so. Um, the mission continues similar to Team Rubicon does a, a same mission, except not around disasters. They do it more in regular, steady, um, ongoing community service. So they kind of mobilize um, the veteran population in a given city and, and get them together. Uh, it helps them with camaraderie and connectedness, and it also ties them directly to their community. Um, and then a third that, that helps is um, Team Red, White, and Blue. Team Red, White, and Blue we've been supporting for many years. Uh, they're, they're an organization that's focused on enriching veterans' lives through uh, physical and social well-being. Um, so they provide opportunities for veterans to get active again, um, plug into community and, and do a lot of great things. So uh, those are the core areas that we're focused in. The only thing in addition I'll add is we've already mentioned Call of Duty endowment, but if you're interested in veteran employment and getting veterans to work, which has so many positive implications in their life, is a good job and a good career, 
Nobody does that work better than Call of Duty Endowment. What about groups that are helping active duty military? We focus a lot on veterans, but obviously there's mm-hmm. people all around the country and, and, you know, frankly, based on the geopolitical situation right now, could be more. Are there groups out there that are really helping our active duty members? Absolutely. And and I will tell you, like Avalon, for example, we, we are also uh, receiving and taking care of some of the active duty members. Now, most of them are still on active duty, but they're either about to retire or they're being processed out for medical reasons. And we're able to kind of bring them in for their for their care. Um, but I think more holistically taking care of military families and um, and uh, and taking care of the active force. It really, nobody's better than the brand everybody knows, in my opinion, which is the USO. Um, the USO does a great job. A lot of people hear that and they think Bob Hope and they think, you know, concerts for for uh, vet- or for service members overseas. And that's true. They, they still do all that. They provide an incredible amount of kind of morale, welfare um, and support to those veterans. But they also do a whole lot more in, in supporting the active duty force. And what you'll see is a lot of organizations that support veterans are, are, are providing the same thing for active duty service members. Um, so I do think that the community, like when I talk about it, I try to talk about the military and the veteran community because they really, they really are one. That's some great advice. Anything as we wrap up here, we didn't touch on that people should really keep in mind as they try towards this goal to support the veteran community, support the military community with their philanthropic dollar? Yes, Peter. I, I mean, I'd encourage everybody to please get in the game. I mean, I, I will tell you that there's definitely a sense that, oh, the wars are over, you know, and um, our veterans got to be okay because the wars are over. And and I can just tell you as a veteran myself who's fought in those wars uh, and as someone who's now given the last decade to uh, to building systems of care and, and support for veterans, we, we really are on the receiving end of what is the tidal wave. Uh, I, you know, veteran suicide data is not getting better. It's getting worse. And um, and there's really uh, there's really a need. The need is critical. And like I said, uh, I would argue that it is a national security need. It's not just doing the right thing to take care of those who served. Uh, it's also paramount for our country. You know, Gary Sinise Foundation also does great work for active duty and, and veterans. And Gary has a great quote. He uses a Coolidge quote that he says that a nation that forgets its defenders will itself be forgotten. Uh, I think that's incredibly important. Uh, and, and so I would encourage people to to kind of get in this get in this game. It's it's important. We need you. There's a lot of organizations that that are worthy of your your support and need it. Um, and then lastly, I mean, Peter, frankly, any of your listeners, if they can reach out to you if they, if they really do want help or want to talk to somebody, uh, I'd be happy to work with any other funders that are interested in kind of getting the support. So feel free to um, hand out my contact info. I'd be happy to talk to people. Well, it's generous of you. I would expect nothing less from a fine, upstanding guy like you. Uh, and this is really great. This is really great advice and such a challenging area to really get one's hands around as I've found firsthand as you have found firsthand working Mm -hmm. with with Bernie there but uh, so important and the need will always be there as long as we have a military and may we always have a strong military the the need's going to be there to support our veterans to support our active duty folks and so thank you Marcus for all that you're doing and all you shared with us today thanks for having me Peter really enjoyed it grateful for all the funders out there attempting to navigate this expansive and complex world of support for our veteran and our active duty military population. Marcus gave us a lot to think about, from the array of challenges put up by an inefficient VA system, to the changing demands of this new generation of veteran coming out of the global war on terror, 
as well as this growing military-civilian divide. In the show notes, we'll include links to the various groups that Marcus mentioned. You can find that on the Donors Trust website, donorstrust.org. And we, and of course, uh, Marcus, as he offered, are happy to talk further about giving in this special arena. This episode is coming out immediately after Thanksgiving. It's actually dropping on Giving Tuesday. In fact, you're probably bombarded with requests for philanthropic support today. Uh, and it is that time when many people are paying a bit more attention to their charitable giving. If you are not already working with us at Donors Trust, we would love to have a conversation on how we can offer a way to simplify your giving, maximize your tax benefits, and generally be a principled partner for your philanthropy. Visit us again at DonorsTrust.org and reach out to us there or at TellMeMore at DonorsTrust.org. I am personally thankful for all of you for listening to the Giving Ventures podcast. Few things give me greater joy than hearing from you about the gifts you've made as a result of groups that you heard about on this show, or maybe just letting me know that you got some optimism knowing that there are good groups working in all of these different spaces. I'm always happy to hear from you. I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly at plipset, that's P-L-I-P-S-E-T-T, at donorstrust.org, and I would welcome your feedback and your thoughts. Well, thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for being a giver, and let's talk more soon.